Well, happy Easter, everybody. We are so glad you're here. Welcome to Community Christian Church. My name is Ed Martin. You're here to help us celebrate the most significant event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, the resurrection is the centerpiece of all of Christianity. And I, I get that some people are like, you know, I, I think it ought to be Christmas because Christmas is when Jesus actually came into the world. That's when he was born. But, you know, everybody watching this, all of us were born. You were born, I was born, but I've been alive a long time and I have never met anybody that was dead and came back to life. And I'm, I'm not talking about you're dead for a few minutes or a few hours. I'm talking about stone cold in the grave dead and then you come back to life. And if you're watching and you have done that, then I just assume you email me instead of walking up to me. That might be a little odd. So, but I'd love to talk to you and hear about your three days dead and then you're back to life because that's the centerpiece of Christianity, and it's what we remember on Easter. And if you're here with us and uh, you're a little skeptical, maybe you don't normally do church or you're from out of town and you just came with some friends of yours or some family of yours or somebody promised you lunch and you're skeptical about the resurrection, well, I get it. I mean, it's a man rising from the dead, and I get why you're skeptical. In fact, this is probably the most difficult thing anybody has to get their arms around. But it's so important to Christianity, it's why I talk about it in the same way every single Easter. Because many people don't know this, and it surprises some people, but you know, you take all the world religions, and Christianity is unique in this one way. In fact, when people say to you, all religions are the same, they ignore this one fact. Christianity is not based on the teaching of a person. It's not based on the teaching of a group of people. Like all world religions are just basically the spiritual teaching about how to do life and how to get to God and those kind of things. But Christianity is not. Christianity isn't based on the teaching of Jesus. Christianity is based on a single event in history. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, it's, it's the centerpiece of everything. In fact, I think it would be a pretty easy case to make that without the resurrection, you wouldn't even know about Jesus. You wouldn't know any of the teachings of Jesus because without the resurrection, I, I mean, it's, there's just a lot of oddity that surrounds the life of Jesus. In fact, the teaching of Jesus, I don't think would have survived 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus because the things he claims and the things he teaches just on their own, they're not all that significant. I mean, Jesus went around telling people he was God. Now, Maybe it's because of my profession and what I've done for the last, well, all of my adult life, really. But I've actually met some people who claim to be God. They've told me they were God or they're the son of God or they speak for God. And here's the thing. I haven't begun to follow any of those people who claim to be God. And you know why. Because you and I know that when a person starts saying they're the son of God or they start equating themselves with God or they think they speak for God, we think something might be wrong. In fact, I've helped some of those people actually get hospitalized because often there's a chemical imbalance or there's something going on and they need a little help. Maybe they're even dangerous, but nobody hears them say that and begins to, to follow them. And we have this thing, I think, that is like, it's like a historical prejudice. We think in the 21st century, that when you look back a couple of thousand years, people were so ignorant that if a man said he was the son of God that people would just go around following him and they just believe it but the truth is even more so in their day there are a lot of people in fact we know from histories that are contemporary with that time there are a lot of people that were saying they were the chosen one the messiah they had come into the world and we don't know their names 
We just know from history there were people saying that at this time. The reason we don't know their name is because nobody was following them around. We only know one person's name. Well, two, you may have heard not only of Jesus, but there's a guy named Augustus Caesar. He also said he was a son of God. But there's no religion that exists still following him because, well, he didn't resurrect from the dead. And then you take the teachings of Jesus. I mean, Jesus would walk around to say to people, hey, you ought to love your enemies. Oh, that's my problem, Jesus. I just don't love my enemies enough. Thanks so much. That really helps me out. I mean, that's not the kind of teaching that gets you a big following. I mean, my problem is I ought to love my enemies. I ought to pray for those who are mean to me. I mean, I want to say, you know, Jesus, I don't even pray regularly for people that I love. I'm not about to start taking my prayer time and start praying for people that I don't like. And the other thing, you know, when I say to you, list off your enemies, most of you outside somebody you don't really like that works with you or somebody in your neighborhood that's a little odd or a neighbor that is a problem for you, you don't have anybody that's your enemy. But when Jesus said it to the Jewish people, they were under the oppression of the Roman government. So when it came to who their enemies were, they knew them. I mean, their enemies had swords and shields, and they took things by power. They took their women and did unthinkable things with them. They forced them to do things they didn't want to do. And here's Jesus saying, hey, when it comes to your enemies, I think you ought to love them. I don't think you ought to try to revolt against them. I, I think you ought to love them. And when they do something to hurt you, I think you ought to forgive them. Well, like how many times? Like what if they don't even, what if they keep on doing it? Well, I think you just have to forgive them unlimited times. See, those kind of teachings don't gather you a following. Those kind of teachings that Jesus makes, we think he's just walking around saying love everybody. There are other people that teach those kind of things, but their following doesn't become the world's leading religion 2,000 years later. How is it that those teachings even made it out of the first century? See, those are the kind of questions that you have to be asking yourself. Why do we know his name? Why do we have this belief system that now is a little odd when it stands on its own? It wasn't because of what he claimed. It wasn't because of what he's taught. In fact, unlike every other religious movement, when Jesus died, nobody held a meeting and said, hey, we've got to keep these teachings alive. Unlike, you know, the prophet Muhammad, when he died, his movement was gaining steam. I mean, he had been a religious leader. He'd been a, a, a leader in the political system. He was a soldier, and when he was killed... I mean, his followers are gaining steam, and they quickly said, hey, we got to keep this alive and tell everybody about the great prophet Muhammad, and they told countries all around them. But when Jesus, Jesus wasn't even dead, I mean, when Jesus is arrested, his movement's losing steam. I mean, his followers who were closest to him, when they arrest him by their own admission, they all abandoned him. They all walked away, and he wasn't even dead yet. So it's not his claims it's not the fact that he died that people took him up as a martyr. This, the only thing that changed history was this single event took place. It was the singular event of the resurrection that turned these cowardly men and women who ran away while he's still alive but he had been arrested. It was them that turned them into people that walked around to saying to people, hey, we now know that he is who he said he was. He is the Son of God. We know it for a fact. And the reason we know it is because not because we hey, we finally understood what he was teaching and we see where it's going. And we don't believe he is who he claimed to be because we'd never met anybody else who claimed to be the son of God. We believe it because we saw him die and then we had a meal with him three days later. 
He's alive, and we know it. It's the resurrection of Jesus that catapulted the, this faith of him being the Son of God from being a religion that nobody was taking ser seriously. Not fulfilled prophecy. That isn't what do it, did it. It's not that the things he taught were so unique. It was not even the message that made people's lives better that made what he said uh, so compelling to people. It was the fact that he was dead and he came back to life. Now, we know that's what launched the movement. Not because we just know it because nothing else makes sense. We know it because history books tell us that that's the message that from the point after this singular event, it's what his followers began to say for the next several decades, there was no other message they were sharing. They didn't walk around to people and say, hey, Jesus was the Son of God, and the way we know it is because he said to everybody, hey, you ought to love everybody always, and y'all ought, ought to get along and turn the other cheek, and hey, your families will be better. It wasn't that. They said, Jesus was God's Son. He said he was. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. We've seen him. Now everybody ought to follow him. And for the next few decades, it really was the only message that got shared. And again, here's what you need to know. I mean, if you're skeptical or you heard something about the Bible or you watch something on the History Channel and that sort of did it for you and you haven't thought about it anymore, the story of the resurrection didn't sort of build up over time. It didn't become a legend because you waited until all the people who were around died off and then you wrote these stories and they just got bigger and bigger and bigger. This thing becomes a deal while the eyewitnesses to the event were still around. They were still alive. It would have been the easiest event in history to prove that they were wrong about. All they had to do was go, hey, look, the body is right over there. The tomb is right there. We'll go show you. They could have disproved the whole thing. So what I want to do today as we... As we remember this significant event that launches Christianity, I, I want to show you the account of how these guys began to change and how just an event that takes place just really three months, 90 days after the resurrection of Jesus, how everything's changed. And before I read this to you, this is written by a historian named Luke. He, he's not an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. He, he's a historian that writes all of this down. He carefully researches it. But here's when I want to say something to you that you might not know and you might not have thought about. And if you're still a, a little skeptical, which I get why you are, I want to tell you something about the book, the Bible, that you need to really consider. If I wasn't a Christian or I was really trying to figure this out and I was trying to be intellectually honest with this, one of the things that would bother me is, and I've had people say this to me, they, they say, hey, I'm trying to figure it out, but you always use the Bible to prove the Bible. And you can't take the Bible and say, well, the Bible says so. And the way you prove that it's true is because you use the Bible to say it. So let me tell you something that you might not know about this thing that people do books about and they talk about and how unreliable the Bible is. You might not know this, but when this whole thing gets started, there isn't like, there's no book called the Bible. And the New Testament, what we call the New Testament of the Bible, it wasn't a book like that was circulating. There are just, just these 27 individual documents written by nine people. Eyewitnesses who were there and involved in this thing, they write 27 different documents written by these nine different people, and they're just circulated not as a book. They're circulated individually for hundreds of years. 
And so people would have one piece and they'd go, hey, I've got something written by a guy named Matthew and I've got something written by a guy named Luke and I've got something written by uh, Mark and I've got something written by Paul. And then they would swap them around and they would read them. There is no book. So what I want you to say is if you're skeptical, and I get why you're skeptical, I really do. I mean, this is a hard thing to wrap your mind around. And you say, well, you can't say just because the Bible says it that it's true. Here's what I want you to, to know that you have to say to be intellectually honest. You can't say, I don't believe it because I don't trust the Bible. What you have to say is, I don't believe it because I think those nine eyewitnesses, I think they all are lying. I think all the people who are alive during that time who talk about a resurrection, I don't think the book is untrustworthy because there is no book. I don't believe these nine people are telling the truth about this event. And I know they were threatened with their life, and I know some of them gave their life. So I believe they lied, and they lied, and they were willing to die for what they knew was a lie that they created, which is okay for you to believe. But you just have to be honest and stop saying, I don't believe it because of the Bible, because there was no Bible. It's just these 27 individual documents that's written by nine people who are eyewitnesses. You have to say, I believe all nine of them, those people who are eyewitnesses, at a time when people could have just pointed to the body, I believe that all nine of them were lying for something they knew was a lie. They were willing to give their life for it. But to say that just this ancient book is untrustworthy, that's not the issue here. So why is it? And here's what I want to say to you. Here's another interesting thing. What's so amazing is that we even have these 27 documents and that they all, they refer to this one event so much because, see, in the same time period, Romans were paying people to write histories. They were paying people to write histories. We don't have another single event in history that has this many eyewitnesses that tell us about it. They were paying people. We don't have any of those that have lasted to us this day. So you have to ask yourself why it's amazing in and of itself that we have these documents intact. Why do we have them? Well, I'll let you answer that for yourself, but here's why I think we have them. I think we have them because when you see a man who's stone cold dead walk out of a grave alive, you note that. And you tell other people about it. And you write it down if you know how to write. So what I want to share with you in the next part, and then I'll talk about, we'll talk about how this applies to you. I want to share you what this one historian named Luke writes down. This takes place 90 days after the resurrection. You can see how quickly this whole thing gets launched. So keep in mind, three months, here's these guys. They follow Jesus around. Jesus is, he's gone now. And they go to the temple. So this is not in a land long ago, far, far away, in another galaxy. This is in the temple where Jesus had taught 90 days before. They walk into that temple, and there's a guy there who's been disabled since birth. And so the social welfare system of their day is that if you're disabled because Jewish people were coming to the temple and they were told to do good to people who needed them, you would sit outside the temple or you'd help somebody if you were too crippled to get there on your own, help you get to the temple, you'd sit down and you would ask people who were coming to pray for help. So he sees these two men, Peter and John, who had been followers of Jesus. They're coming to pray. He's sitting there needing help. He sees them, asks them for help, and they say to him, Hey, look, we don't have any money. We don't have any silver or gold, but what we have we'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, who, by the way, probably since you've been here since birth, you saw teach here and you saw heal here. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the dude does. Well, 
Peter and John, I guess it's just such a normal thing to them to heal people that they go on into the temple to pray. Now, where do you think the guy goes? Well, he goes with them. And so now, here's this guy that's been sitting outside the temple his whole life begging to get people to help, and he's walking around in the temple, and people who've seen them their whole life, they're seeing him, and they're going, is, is that Eddie? Oh, no, that's not Eddie. Eddie's sitting outside the gate. I saw him out there early. Now, I'm telling you, that looks like Eddie. And then they walk closer, and finally one of them says, are, are you Eddie, the guy that was out there? And he goes, yeah, it's me. And they're like, how did that happen? And then he goes, well, they did it. Well, then everybody begins to gather around Peter and John, and they get a little crowd, and there's a little bit of hubbub going on. As you can imagine, they want to know how this thing took place. Well, Peter, he just decides to preach a sermon. And he doesn't stand up and say, hey, we healed Eddie in the name of Jesus Christ who taught us to love one another, and you ought to pray for your enemies, and don't be so mean to the Romans, don't revolt. He doesn't say any of that. He said, just so you know, we do this in the name of Jesus Christ, who said he was the son of God, you killed him, God raised him from the dead, and now we have seen him, that's how we raised this guy from the dead. Now again, just a reminder, this is the same city where just a few minutes, uh, months earlier, Jesus had been teaching in this city. This is the same city where he had been killed. This is the same place where he had been buried, and now they say he's been resurrected. And they aren't saying, hey... We saw a guy who told us they saw him. They aren't saying, hey, my wife told me that when she was down at the salon getting her hair cut the other day that her hairdresser said her cousin had a friend who saw Jesus. They aren't saying that. They're saying, look, we walked with him. We talked with him. We saw him killed. In fact, John stood by the cross while he died. We saw his mother start to cry. And then three days later, we were eating a meal with him alive. And I know it's hard to believe. And I wouldn't have believed it myself. And I... But I'm telling you, we can walk you over to the tomb right over there and we can show you where it happened. Well, as you can imagine, that, that caused quite a stir. <laughs> and everything's getting stirred up. Now, you need to know that because they're in the temple, the other thing that's in the temple is the guys who run the temple, they're the guys who got so upset that they have Jesus put to death. And so they aren't too happy about this whole talk about Jesus. So here's what the historian Luke writes. He says, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people, and they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Now, a part of what has these religious leaders so stirred up is to talk about Jesus, but you noticed in that it says that some of these guys are Sadducees, and the Sadducees were religious leaders who believed like some of you believe. They believed in God, they believed you ought to be, do good, but they did not believe there was any resurrection for the, from the dead. That's why they were sad, you see. Yeah, it's a 2,000-year-old joke, but it still works sometimes. Anyway, they believe that when you, you die, your candle goes out and you just become dust, and you can live the best life you want to, and you ought to do that, and you ought to be kind to people, but there is no resurrection. And they're upset because now there's the people that are saying, not only do we believe in a resurrection, Peter and John are saying, we saw one. We saw Jesus, who you guys put to death, and he's alive right here. So they seized Peter and John because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. Now, here's a, thought. here's a thought you ought to think about. Every time these guys talk about the resurrection, either somebody hits them or somebody puts them in jail or somebody runs them out of town, eventually some of them get stoned, 
all of them eventually get killed. And you have to ask yourself, if they knew it wasn't true, why did they allow all this bad stuff to happen? I mean, it's not like they're getting popular. It's not like they're having people throw money at them. Why is it they continue to talk about this, this resurrection thing? Why don't they just let it go? It's because they'd seen Jesus dead, and now he's alive. So many who heard the message believed. You notice they didn't commit to something. They didn't believe a series of doctrines, meaning they believed that Jesus had raised from the dead, and 5,000 men in the city where this happened embraced the teaching of the resurrection. Now, again, if you just remove your historical prejudice, why would they be that gullible 90 days after they'd seen him killed? Why? So the next day they get Peter and John out of jail and they bring them before the religious leaders. And Luke says everything in there, you'll notice he, he gives the names. And the reason he gives the name is because of two of the names, I think, that are there, Annas and Caiaphas. Annas and Caiaphas, if you ever read the story of Jesus, Annas and Caiaphas are the two high priests who 90 days earlier had had Jesus put to death. So he says, now Peter and John are standing in the temple where Jesus is condemned. They're standing with the guys who condemned him. They're standing before them, and they're demanding to know, how is it you made Eddie walk again? How did that happen? So standing before them, it says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because of a good deed we did for a crippled man? Like, really? You called us in here because we healed this guy and you want to know how we did it? Okay, then let me state clearly to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man you crucified. Remember him, Annas? The man that you killed. Remember him, Caiaphas? But whom God raised from the dead. Every chance they have. Every time somebody answered, asked them uh, why they're doing what they do, they don't say, well, we followed him for three years, and after you give three years, you might as well go ahead and spread his teachings. And we thought they were good. We want everybody to know. They don't talk about anything he taught. They say, we saw what happened, and it was so significant, we believe everybody ought to know. Well, the priests are in a little bit of trouble because they uh, send them out of the meeting, they give them their answer, and now they have the meeting after the meeting, and they say, look, we don't like this talk about the resurrection. We don't like any of that. And again, you have to remember, this would be the easiest thing for them to quash. They just go get the body of Jesus. But they say, we got trouble because, well, Eddie's been sitting out there 20, 30 years, and now he's running around, and the whole city of Jerusalem is stirred up. So what do we do? So they call Peter and John back in, and they say, look, heal whoever you want to heal. Teach whatever you want to teach. But then they say, do not. Talk anymore about this resurrection thing. And Peter said, Which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him, to God? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I mean, you at least have to let go of the idea that you think these guys are starting a religion. They aren't starting a religion. They're just saying, hey, we're just telling you what we saw and what we heard, and it's so significant, really, nobody can keep quiet about this thing. See, here's a dilemma for those of us in the 21st century. Why in the world would we believe that 2,000 years ago a guy rose from the dead? Why would you believe that? Well, because the evidence is just so incredibly strong. 
His teachings would not have made Christianity become what it is because they're a little odd. His claims that he's God would not have gotten it to this place. People write off other people who say they're God all the time. Why are we celebrating this today? And the reason is because the evidence for it is so strong that Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. And I get what if you're wrestling with it. Who wouldn't wrestle with it? And I get why you haven't had a chance to sit down and look at this strong evidence because, you know, you have a life and you have other things to think about and you, you have a job and you're trying to raise kids and you're trying to get on with your life and you're trying to make a living. But, but I, I'm telling you, this event is so significant, it has revolutionized the world. And it's why we come together and it's why Christianity has become the largest religion in the whole known world. And before we're done, I want to give you one more thing to think about. The only way the story of the resurrection, I mean, the only way that it couldn't have gotten to us if, it, if it's not true, is that you have to let all the eyewitnesses die. You have to wait long enough that there's nobody around, and then you have to get together and you say, look, Jesus was such a significant person. There's this little group of people. We want to make this get bigger, so let's talk about a resurrection. And you have to get it to a point where it's hundreds of years later where you can get legend and you write stories and you create this thing. And the problem with that is... We have history outside of the Bible that says that's not what happened. See, outside of the Bible, outside of these 27 documents written by these nine people, outside of them, we have Roman historians that say there was a group of people talking about the resurrection of this man Jesus. We know that was already taking place, and we know it was taking place within the lifetime of the eyewitnesses. See, no one who's really respectable denies that Jesus actually lived and that somewhere around 30 to 33 A.D., depending on the dating, that he was killed. Nobody denies that. And nobody denies that within 15 years or so of that, so around 45 to 48 A.D., that there are Christians already in the city of Rome. Now, Rome is 1,800 miles away from this little place of Jerusalem where all these events take place. And in their day, I'm telling you, Jesus never traveled as far away from, like if you were in Coweta County, he wouldn't have made it any further than Columbus his whole life. People didn't go places like that. There wasn't any motorized travel. Going 1,800 miles across an ocean, most people never made that journey. And here we are 15 years after the event, and they're already number of churches that are in the city of Rome. And Romans hated Jews. The idea that there's a Jewish religion that's traveled 1,800 miles to the capital city and has become significant enough 15, to, uh, to, uh, 15 years or so later uh, that they're noted in their histories is incredible. Give it another 15 years, 15 years from that to 60 A.D. or so, you know who's now the emperor of Rome? This guy named Nero. You probably heard about him in ancient history in college. And Nero decides he wants to renovate the whole city, and so he burns the thing down. He's a little bit nutty. He burns the whole city down, and he blames it on. Do you remember who he blamed it on? He blamed it on Christians. Now, how can he get away with blaming the burning of the city of Rome on Christians except for the fact there are so many of them in the city at that time? In fact... One historian says there may have been as many as 50,000 Christians in the city of Rome at the time of Nero. And that launches into a significant, which nobody denies, where, uh, persecution in the city of Rome against Christians. And the only reason that happens 
is because they were walking around saying a man had risen from the dead. Here's one more thing. There are two Roman historians, a, a guy named Suetonius and another one named Tacitus, and they write about Christianity in their contemporary histories of this time, and they call Christianity a dangerous superstition. Not a religion, but a dangerous superstition. Now, why would Romans have thought of it as a dangerous superstition? Because the main tenet of Christianity was that a man had risen from the dead. And if you're on the outside looking in, that seems pretty superstitious to me. And that's why we believe that Christianity is based on this significant event that is so well documented, you have to look past the evidence to ignore it. Why do we believe in it 2,000 years later? Because there's so much evidence. And it makes today the best day of the whole year because our faith is not based on faith. It isn't that we just have to believe our faith is based in a historical event, and that historical event launched a movement that then people knew the things Jesus said were true because he said them, because he was the Son of God and he proved it by rising from the dead, and that people's lives began to change. And people believed it. I mean, Peter believed it, and John believed it, and there are 27 documents written by these nine eyewitnesses. They all believed it, and they all gave their life for it. There's one written, that we're going to study later this year, that's written by a guy named James, who's the brother of Jesus. And as we always joke around here, what would it take for you to get your siblings to believe you were the Son of God? I mean, I have two sisters, and I could heal all y'all. I could provide all of y'all with food, and at the end of it, they'd both say, hey, that's really nice, Ed, but you ain't God. But James, the brother of Jesus, who never believed he was anything, believed he was a little crazy when he was alive. When James saw his brother killed on a cross, he saw his mother cry, and then his brother was back alive talking to him later. James began to follow him, not as his brother, but as his Lord. And he eventually gave his life for the fact of the resurrection. These men and women in the first century, as they began to follow Jesus, they began to find out that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead was now at work inside of them. And this power took their lives and things that were broken and that they couldn't fix in their life. And the power of the Holy Spirit that had raised Jesus from the dead began to change everything in their life. And so now the message of Christianity, the resurrection comes to you. And it asks, will you follow this man? If you do, you'll find out what I have found out. That things in your life that were once dead by the power that raised Jesus from the dead, God begins to change in you. And that's why I want to end today by giving you a chance to hear stories of real people that are sitting right around you. Real people in the 21st century who thought parts of their life were totally dead and gone and they've experienced the same Thing. in situations where it looked like they were dead and there was nothing they could do but then God came in and he changed everything